to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter number 3. We looked at Satan's temptation of Eve. Yea, hath God said. We looked at that on Sunday. And now we're going to look at what happened after uh, they broke God's law. Only one law was given to them. Um, Adam and Eve were created in a state of best description I've heard, and it's, it's hard to grasp, honestly, but it's the best one I've heard. They were created in a state of mutable righteousness. That means they were created in an, an upright state before God, no sin in them, but it was able to be changed. In Christ, what we have in Him, in the salvation that we enjoy, in Christ Jesus, we are given an immutable righteousness in Christ because it's His righteousness. And because it's His righteousness, it cannot be changed in us. In other words, we cannot in any way lose that righteousness that Jesus has given unto us. There's no way that we can lose our salvation in Christ. And that is our standing. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. We still sin. We still come short. As long as we're in this flesh, as long as we have this old nature, we're going to sin and we're still going to fail. But as far as our standing before God, as far as the new man, that, that which is in us, is concerned, it is immutable. That righteousness does not change. Uh, before God and before his throne. But Adam and Eve here, this was before salvation came to them. This is before the salvation is provided uh, for them in Christ, uh, even, even before they were looking forward to that salvation that would come by him. Uh, they are in this state of uprightness before God. They... Uh, have that one law that God gave unto them not to eat of the tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden, they ate. And that was what we looked at on Sunday as Satan used that question to eat. Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. And he brought that temptation before Eve. She ate of the fruit and Adam ate with her also. And it tells us some things that happened to them because of them breaking that law. And the, these things, uh, just as all of sin uh, is uh, all that is in the world, as, as uh, 1 John puts it in chapter 2, verse 16, uh, it, all of that, that sin brings is the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We find that in... All of sin. That's what verse 6, the very thing that takes place there. Eve saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. You have the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Just like 1 John 2.16 tells us, those same three things came in. All that is in the world, all the sin that the world has to offer us is presented to us in that way. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Just like that's the reality for sin, so are these things that come as consequence of sin. What it does to us as individuals. And we see what it takes place with Adam and Eve here. First of all, it tells us verse number 7. When we look here in this particular passage, Genesis 3, verse number 7. After they ate, nothing happened to Eve, of course, when she ate. It was only after Adam ate with her that these changes immediately began to take place in them. And the first one we see there is verse number 7. The eyes of them both were opened. The eyes of them both were opened. What was it opened to? Well, first of all, it was opened physically to their own nakedness. They were naked in the garden. The Bible says God created them naked and they were not ashamed because there was no reason. There was nothing, there was no 
the, the knowledge of good and evil, which was what Satan told him would happen when he ate of that fruit, which is exactly what happened when they ate of that fruit. Uh, he just didn't tell them the whole, the whole reality of that. Is Yes, they would know, they'd have the knowledge of good and evil, but because of the death that would come by breaking God's law, the only thing they would be able to do with that knowledge is the evil. That's, that was, that's the problem with depravity. That's the problem with that sin that came in them, that spiritual death that took place. They, they have that knowledge of good and evil, but all they are able to do now is evil based, because of that spiritual death. So the eyes of them both were opened, and so they saw themselves as naked. But that, that it was different now. In, in having that knowledge of good and evil, they recognized their, their nakedness. And so their, their new reality of having eaten of the fruit, that which Satan had promised, you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. They, they really, it was different, but it wasn't better. No. It wasn't better. Their eyes were open. They now had not only did they see their nakedness, but their eyes were open to the reality of good and evil. And again, in the knowledge of the good and evil, the only thing they were left with was the evil because of their deadness in trespasses and sins. And so they had died in that moment spiritually. And physical death had begun on them at this point. Now they would live many years. Adam lived 930 years. And, and they would live many years after this. But the reality is, is that physical death began here. Spiritual death took place. They died spiritually here, eating of this fruit. And so even the understanding of what God was talking about, when he tells them, ye shall surely die, this was something foreign to them. That, this was something that they did not recognize or understand even having never experienced. They were newly created in the garden, had never experienced any kind of death. To even understand what that fully meant. And, and no doubt, and even, even us, when we read the passage, the first thing that sticks out to us, the first thing that comes to our mind when we hear, ye shall surely die, the first thing that comes to our minds is the physical death. But that, that wasn't even what was first. First was the spiritual death. They died spiritually because of this Sin. And so, even though physical death didn't come immediately, it was still working. We, we, it's kind of a, a, a gloomy thought, but the reality is we are born moving toward death. And every day of life is ever moving us closer to the time of our death. And so we, that's what we're moving toward. Is, is the reality of physical death. Go, hold your place here. Go back with me to, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 12. Now, Paul, first several chapters here, Paul is dealing with this reality of sin, uh, how sin come into the world, uh, what man knew concerning sin, how it affected mankind, early man, even before the flood and after the flood. Paul addresses a lot of these issues, and we see a lot of the history that's given to us in the book of Genesis. Paul is dealing with, especially in first, chapter, first, first and second chapter there of this book of Romans. Chapter 3 talks about sin and, and the universality of sin for all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. He says there in chapter or verse 23 of chapter uh, 3. Chapter 4, he's talking about our faith and how that faith is given us, how faith uh, is, is brought to us. And then chapter 5, he describes to us, he begins to tell us how God works this out for us, how he has accomplished salvation for us to give us faith, to give us justification, 
as, as he describes there in chapter 4. And he says here in verse number 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. By Adam, that sin entered in. When he ate of that fruit there with Eve in Genesis chapter 3, sin passed, as he says, or death passed upon all of us, and death or uh, by that sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, he says. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So in other words, Adam's sin, even though these other folks after Adam had not sinned the same exact sin that Adam had sinned, death still had passed on them. Why was it that death had passed on them? Because it was being passed on through Adam, through that nature of Adam. And so by the seed of man, that death continues. By the seed of man, that, that reality of sin continues so that everyone is born with sin. But he goes, as he tells us in verse number 12, not only are we born with sin, but we've all also sinned. So we're born with the, 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 the nature of sin, and we prove it by sinning. And we sin in our lives. And so that... That reality is proven in us. And so this, this is what he tells us here what took place with Adam eating of that fruit, breaking the law that God had given him. Adam was, it, it happens with Adam because Adam is made the corporate head. Adam is the corporate head of man. And so when Adam, the reason when Eve ate of it, it did not happen in that moment. It was when Adam ate of that fruit that it takes place when this sin was passed. And so their eyes were open. They saw this reality. They were naked. They had that knowledge of good and evil. This, this caused a change in them as well. Not only were their eyes open, but they again, they saw their nakedness. And in that, they were filled with shame. And this is what sin brings to us. When... We have given place for sin in our lives. It's immediately followed up with shame. Immediately followed up with shame. For the child of God, most of the time for the, the unsaved as well, there is that reality of shame comes in there. Why? Because what Paul tells us in Romans chapter number 2, God has put in our conscience he has borne it in us that even from childhood as we grow, even before we are saved, he has given in our conscience the knowledge of good and evil. The very thing that took place with Adam and Eve here eating the fruit, that also was passed on. And God puts it in our conscience to know that. And so even when maybe somebody's not saved and they're, they're going on through life, even... Even when they sin, there is that reality in their conscience. There's that shame that will rise in them because of the sin that they have just committed. Because of that knowledge of good and evil that God has put in them, you see. Now, man has become very good uh, over these last 6,000 years. Man has become very good at ignoring it. Or as Paul calls it, searing his own conscience. He's, got a, he's gotten very good at, at hiding himself from that shame. He's gotten good at, at hiding himself from the guilt he may feel because of his sin. He gives himself excuse, as Paul says, or accusing others, as he says there in chapter 2 as well. They, they, they are able now to, oh, okay, yeah, I've sinned and I feel horrible that I've sinned, but you know what? Everybody else does it too, so it's not that big of a deal. Or you know what? It, yes, I've sinned, but my sin is not as bad as that guy's sin, and so I'm better than him, so that's, that's, that's all that matters. And so we give ourselves excuse, or we accuse others, uh, as, as uh, Paul words it there. And so 
So man has gotten good at covering up his shame. He's gotten good at covering up his own guilt. But the reality still lies in his heart that he has sinned against God. It's still there. He can't get away from that. Might outwardly make himself feel better, but it's inwardly he knows it's real. He knows, he knows that that sin is there. And so they saw their nakedness, and in their nakedness, in their openness before God, they sought to cover themselves up. And the Bible says they sewed the fig leaves together. And I, I wanted to do some study on the sewing. I was curious, what, is that, what does that Hebrew word there mean exactly, sewed? I don't think Eve had a needle and thread. So I'm, I'm curious at what that meant because I'll have to look that up. And I didn't get a chance to do that this week already. But, but they, they sewed themselves fig leaves together and tried to make themselves a covering. And they saw right away the covering was unsuitable. It didn't work. Okay, It didn't, even though they were covered up, it did not take away the shame. It did not take away the guilt. The, the, the obvious nature of it was the fact that they were now covered with something. Something's wrong. Something's changed. Something's different now. We weren't as we were before. Now we're suddenly we're filled with shame. Now we're filled with this guilt for, for this thing that we've done. And, and, and we've, we've covered ourselves up, but it's still not enough. It's obvious now, because we've got these fig leaves on, it's obvious we've done something wrong. And so in their shame, in their guilt, trying to cover that shame and that guilt only made it more obvious they were guilty. And so their nakedness, though now covered by the fig leaves, they knew it wasn't sufficient. And so they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, verse number 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves from God? Because they had a covering on. They had made themselves covering. And they could not be in the presence of God because it was obvious we've messed up. We're full of guilt. We're full of shame. We've tried to take care of it and we know it's not good enough. And now God's going to see. And so they're hiding, hiding from the presence of God. This is what sin does to us. It isolates us. Now, it didn't isolate Adam and Eve from other people because they was the only people, right? <laughs> they wasn't nobody else they could isolate from physically. But they had a relationship with God. This verse tells us that here in verse number 8, that God would come and walk with them in the garden. This was commonplace, you see. They heard his voice. They knew what he was doing. He was there walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was coming down to visit with them. He was coming down to commune with them. There amongst them in the garden. They had a, re a, a wondrous relationship with God there in that garden. But now because of their sin, now because they've broken God's law, now because of this shame and this guilt that's weighing on them, now suddenly they are isolated from God. They isolate themselves. They hide themselves from Him. Now you can hide yourself from other people. You can isolate yourself from others. You're not going to be able to isolate yourself from but this is what sin does. Sin isolates us. When we, when we continue in that sin, when we allow sin that place in our lives, when, when we hold on to that sin, it isolates us from others that could help us. Others that could, could help carry the burden. Others that, that could help us along. Others that could pray for us and lift us up before the throne of grace. 
Instead, the shame and the guilt often, if given place, we hold on to that. We will isolate ourselves from those who can help us the most. And so this isolated them, and they hide themselves from the presence of God. James tells us in James chapter number 5, James chapter number 5, verse number 15 and 16. James says here, Prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And this is, this is in... In regards to one who is sick because of their sin, because of the chastening of God, that First Corinthians chapter twelve, Paul speaks to this this issue. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter eleven, rather. First Corinthians chapter eleven, he speaks of this issue. Uh, Hebrews chapter number twelve, he speaks to this issue. Speaks to to this chastening of the Lord because of our sin. And so this is this is what he's alluding to here in James that one who is sick. Is, and they're sick because of sin. Their sin has been in their life. Their sin that they've allowed and the chastening of God is upon them. And they are sick because of his chastening hand. He says it, with that prayer of faith, they shall save the sick. And if, if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And so he says in verse 16, confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so he says we need, to, we need to confess our faults. We need to confess our sins one to another. That when we've sinned, when we've failed, when we have, 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 are, are filled with our own shame, when we are filled with the guilt that comes because of our sin, we need to be able to have that kind of relationship with each other that we can confess that to one another and expect that we're going to pray for one another. That we're going to strengthen one another. That we're going to help with that burden of the sin. That we're not going to be, that we're not going to use that to judge, but rather we're going to use that to encourage and to help and, and bring these things before the throne of grace to, to help that one be healed. So that they are no longer isolated because of their sin and because of the shame and guilt, but rather be reconciled to us and to God. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. He says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But when we hang on to it, when we hang on to our sin, when we, when we, when we don't want to tell, when we don't want others to know, when we are, when we are uh, overcome in our shame and overcome in our guilt and hiding in that, all that does is isolate us from those that could help us, from those that could pray for us. And so this is what's happened here with Adam and Eve. They, they are isolated. They, they are filled with their shame. They are filled with their guilt. And they isolate themselves from God. Again, we can isolate ourselves from each other. We can hide from one another. We, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from Him. Now he asks the question, in verse number 9, it says Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So here they are. They've got camouflage on because they've sewed themselves fig leaves together. And so they think, all right, we can at least hide. We're, we'll hide right here in this fig tree and God won't see us. Um, so they, they've got themselves fig leaves on. They're hiding from God. God comes into the garden. And God asked the question there in verse, verse number 9, Adam, where art thou? Now God's not asking Adam, Adam, where are you? I can't find you. That's not what he's saying. It's not that God did not know where Adam was at. He is addressing Adam's problem. Adam, where are you? You're not where you're supposed to be. This was not for God to find out where Adam was at. It was for Adam to find out where he was at. 
Because in Adam's isolation here, in Adam's shame and guilt, Adam was hiding from the one that mattered most. And so it, Adam's situation had changed. Every other time that God come walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam was right there with him. Adam was receiving his instruction. Adam was, Adam was hearing what God would have him to do. Adam was there with the Lord naming the animals, what he's going to call this one and what he's going to call that one. God left that up to Adam, by the way. You name him, Adam. How in the world did he come up with hippopotamus? Or rhinoceros? He left that up there. Adam had, had that fellowship with God. He, he had been in his presence. He had walked with him. Every other time God had been in the garden, Adam was right there. But not this time. It changed. And it was not God that changed. It was Adam that changed, you see. And so God's answer, or God's question rather is, Adam, where are you? You're isolated from me. You're hiding from me. You're covering yourself up. Where are you, Adam? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What's changed, Lord? What's different now? As I heard you coming and I'm naked and I didn't want you to see me. Isn't it interesting there? Remember, they sewed them fig leaves together. They made themselves aprons. They made themselves a covering. But they still knew that wasn't good enough. He doesn't say, I'm naked and I'm having to make me something to cover me with. I'm naked and I hid myself. No matter how we may isolate, no matter how we might hide from others, we cannot hide from God. He knows everything about us. Everything about us. And God said, who told you you were naked? What changed, Adam? What's that? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat of? The next thing that happens in this scenario, it happens so often, even with us, God's children, is that when our sin is put before us, when we are confronted with our sin, whether it be by another or whether it even be by the Spirit of God, we very quickly go into defense mode and try to make an excuse to cover up why we have sinned. In Adam and Eve's situation here, they turned it into the blame game. God said, who told you? You're naked. Did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat of? And the man said, verse number 12, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the fruit, or of the tree rather, and I did eat. Adam said, It's that woman. But he goes beyond that. You see, he doesn't blame Eve here. Sounds like it at first. But pay attention to what he said. He didn't blame Eve. He blamed God. It's this woman that you gave me. That's pretty bold. 
But that's the messed up nature of our defensive mechanisms when we're caught in sin. We would go so far even as to blame God. It's your fault, Lord. This wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have gave me her. I don't misunderstand. It still wasn't pleasant for Eve <laughs> to hear this. But he's, he's blaming God. He's not blaming Eve. He's blaming God. And the Bible tells us in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. In fact, go over and look with me at that passage. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 14. Paul, Paul makes it clear to us here that and he's talking about Eve being, or husbands being, uh, leading their wives, wives being in subjection to their husbands. He talk, he's talking about there in, in giving the order of the sexes and the order of the home there in chapter 2. And he tells the reason why here in verse 13. He says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. That was the order of creation. And Adam was not deceived, he says in verse number 14. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. He said. So the, he tells us there in verse number 14, Adam was not deceived by the serpent. Adam knew. Eve was deceived. She saw that it was, that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. It, she fell for all three of those, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. She fell for all three of them. Oh, yes, I, I believe the serpent, what the serpent told me is right. Yes, mm -hmm, that looks good. That looks like that helped me. That looks like that's what I need. She believed it. Everything the serpent had said. Adam did not. Now, what does, what does that tell us there? First of all, that tells us that likely Adam was right there with Eve when Satan was tempting her. And what Adam should have done was killed the serpent and got his wife away from it is what he should have done. But instead he let he listened. He he continued to listen as the serpent was tempting Eve. He did not attempt to stop her when she got the fruit and when she ate of it. He even though he was not fooled, he did not in any way try to stop the situation. And after she ate of the fruit, Adam chose then to die with his wife rather than her die and God give him another or leave him by himself. I don't know what his thinking was in regards to that. But it, whatever, he chose to die with her. All right, she's ate the fruit. God said, if we eat the fruit, we're going to die. I'm going to die with her. Because he was not deceived. He, he was not expecting anything that Satan had promised there. He knew that would not be the case. He knew they would not be as gods, knowing good and evil. He knew that that was not the case. There, he knew that eating that fruit, they were going to die. And he chose death with Eve. He chose death with Eve. And he ate of the fruit willingly, knowing that it was going to bring his death. But once the shame and the guilt come in, oh, Lord, it's your fault. Lord, it's your fault. You gave her to me. You gave her to me. And she ate of it. What was I supposed to do? She gave it to me. I ate of it also. It's your fault, Lord. The Lord looks at Eve and asks her, what is this that thou hast done? And Eve said, Is that serpent? He told me to eat of it. And I did eat. He beguiled me. He tricked me. And I ate it. Just like Paul says, we make excuse or else we accuse one another. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did. Filled with the guilt, filled with the shame, hiding, isolated because of their sin, hiding from the face of God. When they are confronted with it, they turn immediately to blaming someone else. Verse 14 and 15. 
were given a promise. In spite of their failure, in spite of their sin, in spite of the shame, in spite of the guilt that they were feeling in the moment, the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity, make an enemy between you and the seed of the woman. So I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Well, a woman doesn't have seed. So this is the first part of the promise here. It's going to be a virgin birth. The Old Testament saints understood this. This is what Isaiah writes concerning the virgin birth of our Lord had come because it would not come from the seed of man. It would be from the woman. And so this, there's going to be enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. So this one that's coming from the seed of woman is going to crush Satan. Be crushed by him. And he's going to bruise his heel. Speaking of our Lord's death for us on the cross. That he would die for us. But it would only be a bruising because he would come back from the grave. He would not stay dead. But he's going to crush Satan. Has crushed him. And he's already won the victory, you see. And so this is the promise. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Because of this death by sin, their sin, if they would have hope and life, their sin would have to be paid for. And it is in this promise that God has provided the promise of the payment for their sin. That he would send one. One would come that would die in our stead and win the victory over sin and death. So that's a wondrous promise that's given there. Even in all of this shame, all of this guilt, in this massive failure of Adam and Eve, there's this wondrous promise given. There's one that's going to come. He's going to handle. He's going to take care of all of this. But, but, because you sinned, there's consequence to it. It's going to cost you something. Because you sinned, it's going to be hard on you. Sin is always a destroyer. Always. We give sin place. We give sin a, a, a foothold in our lives. It will always hurt us. It will always destroy us. It will always injure us. That is what sin does. We can't play around with it. We can't give it a place here and a place there. We can't, we can't handle it like we're walking a dog on a leash and say, okay, I'm putting you up now. No, it, once we give it a place in our hearts, once we give it a place... In our lives, it will tear us down little by little, or sometimes big by big. But it, it will destroy. That's what sin does if given its place. And there's always consequence to our sin. Always consequence to our sin. Now, God in His grace, God in His wondrous grace, will sometimes take from us the pain and the consequence of those sins. Sometimes he alleviates those. Most of the time, no. Most of the time, we have to go on and face the consequences of it. And whatever it is, to weigh our way through it, leaning on him. And it's always, it's always for the purpose of drawing us closer to him becoming more and more dependent on him in our lives. And so he tells them here, this is all the things now that are changed. Because of this sin, this is what you have now brought, not only on Adam and Eve, 
but upon all of the creation now because they brought sin in. Because Adam brought sin in. And so he tells them of this curse. Tells them of this curse. It changed all of the creation. Now, now death is brought in. Was no death before. Was no death before. And now, death. And death has come not only on mankind, but it's brought upon the whole creation. And everything starts to decay. Everything starts moving toward death. Everything. The plants, the trees, the birds, the creatures, the rhinoceros, the hippopotamus, the all, everything starts moving toward death now because of this curse that's brought because of Adam and Eve's sin. He says to Eve there, particularly verse 16, he says of the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So he tells her there's going to be pain in childbirth. There's going to be sorrow even in childbirth, which is not usually what we think of. We usually think of happy times when children are being born, but there's that reality of, of this furthering, this reality of this continuing on, this curse, this sin that's being passed on from from man to man to man to man. This, this reality of this curse is now continuing. You see. This pain and sorrow comes because of it. It says, thy desire shall be to thy husband. That means you'll want to rule over your husband. You'll want to lead him. But he shall lead you. And that's, that's always going to be the reality in a hard dynamic. In marriage relationships, thy desire shall be to thy husband. The desire to rule over him is literally what it means there in the Hebrew. But he shall rule over thee. Unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow... Shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life? Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of uh, thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. So that means, all right. Before you had everything in this garden, you just went and got what you wanted to eat, and you had you. I mean, you were resting and relaxing in this creation I've given you. They had the tent of the garden, but nothing died. There were no thorns or thistles. There wasn't any bugs that were eating up the fruit at that time as far as invading the garden there in that way. And so it was an easy tending that they had to take care of. But now, if you're going to eat, you're going to have to work for it. And it'll be in the sweat of your face that you're going to work for it. And, and now, not only is it going to, you're going to have to work for it, but there's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be obstacles that's going to come up against you in you working for this. And so you're going to have to fight against all of these other things as well in order for you to prosper, in order for you to have what you need. And so now the thorns and the thistles, the bugs, all the problems that come with, with eating and working, now it's all Adam's fault. It's brought in now, these problems. But notice what he says to him there in verse number 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. God again reiterates to them, you have died spiritually because of this sin, but you're still going to die physically. That death is coming. And you're going to work and you're going to suffer and you're going to face the sorrows of this life all the days of your life until, until you at last give up this body and die. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. 
And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And then verse 21. God gives them now a proper covering. A proper covering. Adam and Eve covered themselves in their fig leaves. It's what they did. It was their self-righteousness, you see. It was the work they worked. We have sinned. We have done this horrible thing. We feel the shame of it. We feel the guilt of it. We've got to fix this. But they knew, even after they made their own, even after they covered themselves, they knew it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. It didn't cover the shame. It didn't cover the guilt. They still knew we've changed and we can't fix this. God fixed it. He gave them a proper covering. Now this, again, is only a covering. But this is a righteous covering, you see. Whereas the one they had was a self-righteous covering. And a self-righteous covering does not take care of the guilt. A self-righteous covering does not alleviate the shame. This righteous covering is one that covered them properly. Now, it tells us here in verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now in order to make the coats of skins, in order to make that animal hide outfit that he made for them. Something else had to die to provide for them the covering that they needed. The innocent had to die. Now it was likely, we don't have it here, we do it in chapter 4, it was likely here that the Lord killed some sheep and made them coats from that sheep skin because it's what Abel would bring in chapter 4 because it was likely he used the sheep we see that even later on as Abraham would do the same as it was known they would bring those sacrifices to the Lord and that would be the proper sacrifice to bring before the law was given they were already bringing those sacrifices to the Lord as sin offerings for their sins and so this is what was understood in order to cover their sin, in order for them to have a covering until the promise of verse 15 is done, they would need to constantly be offering those sacrifices for their sin to have the covering that they were given by God there in verse number 21. And so it required then the innocent to die for the guilty in order for them to have a covering until the promise of verse 15 was fulfilled. That promise, again, was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. When he died on the cross in our stead, we no longer have to bring a sin offering. We no longer have to kill the sheep or the goat or the, the turtle doves or the bullocks. We no longer have to do that. Christ Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, was the one sacrifice for all. He took care of it all right there. No more are these sacrifices to be offered. He finished it. He gave the sacrifice. All of their sacrifices in the Old Testament from this one here in verse number 21 all the way through until the time of the Lord Jesus, all of those sacrifices were looking forward to the fulfillment of this promise in verse number 15. They were looking for it. There's a day coming when we won't do this anymore. 
There's a day coming when, when, when these sins that we are covering right now, when they're going to be done away with, they're going to be washed from us. When that one that comes is promised. When Christ Jesus came, when He died on the cross in our stead, when He died in our place, this, all of this looking forward to his death and the necessity of covering the sin is done away with because he's now paid for all of it. He paid for all of the sins of his people all the way back to Adam. And he paid for all the sins of his people all the way yet future to the end of time. That 2,000 years ago when my Lord hung on the cross of Calvary, he died for my sin. He took my place. He gave me the covering that would not need any other to replace it. He washed us. Verse 22, it says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man is one of us to know good and evil and now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The last part of that consequence of Adam and Eve's sin is they were put out of the garden, never again able to enter into that lovely place and separated from the tree of life, intimating to us that if they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in that state of sinfulness. And so God removed them. This, this removing from the garden is an act of grace as God removed them from the ability to get, get to the tree of life. And Zechariah uh, harkens back to this passage of these angels guarding the way with the flaming sword. And he tells us that when Jesus comes, he will pass through the sword and come into the presence of God for us. Um, I believe that sword is the very sword that he's speaking of there in Genesis chapter 3, that he made the way through that sword into the presence of God, that sword of judgment that is keeping man from the tree of life. Jesus opens that way up for us by his sacrifice in our stead, passing through that sword on our behalf that that way might be open for us to come into the presence of God. That's what happened when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Let's all stand. We dismiss.